Welcome to you if you're here for the first time. My name's Nathan. It's a real joy to be here, and I count it a real privilege to be uh, being asked to lead us as a people, lead the team who lead this church. And I'm just thrilled to be able to talk to you this morning. Um, so we're going to look at various things. Now, when a few months ago, uh, I was asked to kind of think about what we're going to look at together as a church. And there was three aspects which I felt that we should look at. We can pull up the first slide. So it's about knowing God. Um, I've been reading that book by J.R. Packer, Knowing God, about hosting his presence and uh, knowing yourself and knowing your position, knowing who you are in Christ, knowing your identity, and then finally knowing your call. And these things can be split out in different ways. They can be upwards towards God, inwards understanding who your identity is in Christ, and knowing what God has called you to. And there's a verse in Daniel which kind of sums that up. But the people who know their God, that's the first priority, shall stand firm, they'll know their position, they'll know their identity, who they are, and then they'll take action. And I think another version says, we'll do exploits. And I am one who wants to follow this, and I want to encourage us as a people to follow this. And we to get this priority of knowing God. And so last week, Andrew helpfully uh, gave us a bigger picture of the Bible, didn't he? He went through from Genesis right through to Revelation and had a look at some of the big, big themes of the Bible. And uh, he suggested that if we understood the bigger picture and where our part, part that we play in that picture, if we kind of are able to interpret the story and see our role and where we fit within that, and that is what God wants us to do. And... Um, the main thread going through the Bible we'll be able to see is, is God's presence. It's, it's God's presence given, and then it was forfeited by man. And then Jesus, as we celebrated last week, he made it available to us again, didn't he? His presence to us. There's a great verse in Genesis 3.8 that says this. One of my favorite ones. It says, the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord. They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? I like this because it's just, this was God's plan actually, that he would be amongst us, amongst his people. It was just a normal everyday thing that they could hear the Lord walking in the garden. But God, they hid themselves, didn't they? They, they forfeited his presence by sinning. And God said to them, where are you? And I believe he continues to say that to mankind, to each one of us today. Where are you? Where do you fit in this story? So uh, if you just pull up the next slide, 
we've got um, here some various people. Do you know what pulls these three guys together? I'll tell you. So these guys, some of the, I asked my girls, they didn't know half of them who they were, so I'll explain. Charlie Chaplin, he used to write uh, films and star in them as the main star. Rocky Balboa, Sylvester Stallone, the guy in the middle, he was hard up for work, so he thought he'd write a story about uh, a boxer, and then he starred in it as the main role, and he directed it as well. So these are people, and finally, Mel Gibson at the end, he... Uh, directed and starred as the main character in the film. And why am I telling you this? Well, in Hebrews 12.2, it says this, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. Now, not only did God write the story, write the script. He played the main role. He was the main character. He stepped down and he rescued us. He's the hero of this story. He's the hero of heaven, the champion of heaven. And he continues to direct this story. And he continues to, his desire is to direct this story in your lives this morning. But this isn't some fancy Hollywood movie. This is real. This is now. This is relevant to you now. This isn't some make-believe story. This is God writing the script. He's written it already for each one of you, and he's asking, where are you in this big story? And part of this story is a love story that he wrote, is that mankind, who he designed perfectly. He designed for relationship with him. He designed for us to be in his presence. Continual, ongoing, unbroken relationship with the presence of God. So where are you in this story? Um, it's important that you ask yourself this question. Because you could well be just an onlooker. You could be just looking in from the outside. You may just feel like a bit of an extra. Someone who's just a bit in the shadows. Now, um, I knew an uh, actor once who was uh, an extra. And we'd spend all our childhood trying to find him on various programs. And we rarely did because he was so bright in the distance. But I remember seeing him once in EastEnders... There's actually a, one of the slides. It's not in this slide. I couldn't find it. It was too old. But uh, the next slide shows a scene in EastEnders where... Um, and, yeah, he was sort of never part of the main action. He was just sort of... It was like that guy in the corner on the right-hand side. He was sort of looking away. You might get a glimpse of his forehead or something. It was really sort of uh, not a great role. And some of you may feel like that in your story with the Lord Jesus, that you're just an extra. You're not part of the main action. You see other people enjoying, you know, all the kind of being the center of attention, being having the focus with the main characters. But I wanted to tell you, each one of us, 
is a main character in this story. You can be part very much of the main stage, front and center of the main stage. This isn't for you just to be uh, looking in from the outside. You may be just disappointed the way the story's panned out so far and you've just opted out. You may be a bit bored. You're just going through the motions. You may be hiding. You may be fearful. God wants to bring each one of us back. I want, you to, I want to encourage each one of us to pursue an intimate, personal relationship with God. I want you to fight to prioritize this above all other activities in your day, all other distractions in your day. Fight to prioritize the presence of God in your life. My actual conviction is that before we do anything, we need to come from that place of being with Jesus. He's not only commissioned us for a great purpose, but he also empowers us. So this kind of leads on. I've kind of given you a bigger picture story of what we wanted to do about knowing God, knowing yourself, and knowing your call. But, uh, I'm not going to tie myself to this, but we're going to start looking at Acts as a book and see how we can together partner with the Holy Spirit and see how the early church partnered with the Holy Spirit. Um, so just going to give you a brief overview of Acts as we start that. Um, so I, I just believe that there's so much we can learn from the book of Acts and the early church and how they kind of teamed and partnered with the Holy Spirit, how they begun the Great Commission and... Uh, and actually, Acts is still being written now, isn't it? It's not just for that period. The church is still growing. And he wants to... Uh, it's not... Some people call it the Acts of the Apostles, but it might be more accurately labelled the Acts of God through ordinary people like you and me. And he still wants to act through us. So he's, uh, God's commission and mandate that we see in the end of Matthew... Go and make disciples of all nations. That hasn't changed from then to now. And, uh, and he equips us to do that here on earth. So a bit of background on Acts. It's written by uh, Luke. And it's actually the second part of, um, or second volume to Luke's gospel. Which uh, gave an account of Jesus' life on earth. And then uh, leading up to his death and resurrection. And then Acts... Uh, leads on from there and starts to tell us the beginning of the story of the early church. Luke was a doctor from the Syrian city of Antioch. Uh, he wrote Luke and Acts to a guy called Theophilus. And uh, you can see from the beginning that Luke addresses him as most excellent Theophilus, which was the customary way to address a judge. Therefore, it's been suggested that uh, Acts was actually written to provide background for the case of Paul's arrest, who was in custody at that time. And uh, its purpose was not only to defend Paul and give him a defense, but also to defend Jesus and the Christian faith as a, Christian faith as a whole. However, through this account, we can also get to see 30 years of church history, which we need to treat as a manual. Um, and we need to replicate this and continue the growing of churches today. 
So Acts picks up the story in 30 AD, six or seven weeks after Jesus has been crucified. I thought it was again a good time to do that as we've just celebrated Easter last week. Um, as an aside, I just love the fact that all of our birthdays have been um, dated from when the Lord Jesus was born. I don't know if you just think about that very often. So I'm actually 1,975 years after Jesus was born. I think that's just good to remember. I, th- I love the fact that um, the whole of our modern-day calendar is based around the centre person of this story. Don't you think that's great? So who here has been uh, born the closest to Jesus' birth? Do at birth? <laughs> Any takers? Who has been born 2,000 years since Jesus' birth? Hey, two here. Great. No, I just think it's a wonderful thing, as I said, that the whole of our calendar is based around that. Okay. Let's read Acts then. Let's get straight into the passage. So Acts 1, 1 to 11. We're going to look at how we can know God's presence through teeming with the Holy Spirit. Let's read it together. Um, I'll read from here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For God, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After this, he said this. He was taken up. After after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee. They said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So with the rawness of uh, Jesus' death still in the memory of the disciples, and his message still not really being believed by many Jewish leaders and the nation as a whole, the remaining bunch of about 120 believers were left there, And they were kind of seen as unschooled, ordinary men, which it says later in Acts. And here it references them as men of Galilee in verse 11. Now, this phrase is a little bit of a derogatory term because they were kind of seen as just small town men from a small town and didn't really, they weren't very educated. In fact, when the 
when they spoke of their Sea of Galilee. It wasn't really a sea at all. It was just a lake. And uh, Luke realizes later and refers it to as a lake, as that what it was. But these guys hadn't really left Galilee much, and they didn't, weren't very educated, so they called their, their little pond a, a, a sea. And, um, and so when they phrased them, men of Galilee, they were being a bit derogatory towards them. So this is just really a bit of an insignificant group of people. Not really the dream team to go and save all the nations. And we can sometimes look at Acts and we can put them on a pedestal and think they're super apostles. But actually they weren't. As a, as a Christian today, you may feel like the minority. In your work, you might feel despised, just tolerated by people, considered by others, outdated, bigoted, brainwashing, divisive. I want to tell you, even if that's other people's opinion of you, I want you to have a bigger view of yourselves in God. We need to have Christ's view of us. He didn't look upon this disbanded little group of men and think, no, I'll throw these away and start again. He said, no, I'm going to use these. There's a passage in Isaiah 60, 22, says this. The least of you will become a thousand, the smallest a mighty nation. I am the Lord. In its time, I will do this swiftly. Anyone can be fruitful through knowing God. He empowers the ordinary, weak people. Now, we all love a comeback story, don't we? We all love the underdog to come through and win in films, in sporting events, come through sickness and conquer illness or something. We always cheer on the one who's behind, don't we? Now, this is the biggest comeback story of all. Jesus coming back to life, but also the ongoing work of God using this small band of men and women to turn over the face of the Roman Empire for the kingdom of God, for the glory of his name. And I don't know about you, I want to see... The churches in Adelson and Chertsey rise up and come back and not be a small pocket of believers that people look down upon, but we would conquer this area for the glory of God, that he would use us as we come and know him, as we get empowered by him, that we would turn over this area for the glory of Jesus. So he gave this command to him. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, in verse 4. And this was repeated also at the end of Luke, where he said, I am going to send you what my father has promised. But listen, but stay in this city until you have been clothed with power from on high. So I wanted to kind of unpack this phrase, wait, stay. This bunch of inadequate, underqualified followers were commanded to wait, to remain, to stay until the gift, the promise turns up. Who is this gift? Who is this promise? It's the Holy Spirit. 
And he's the leader. He's the one who's written the story. He's the one we need to follow in this story. So I'm just going to look at what we could, how the disciples may have responded to this command from God to, to remain and to stay, and then how we can kind of relate it into our lives and into our context about waiting or staying. So the first bit, they could have responded, they may not have wanted to wait in Jerusalem, they may have wanted to return to their kind of hometown of Galilee, where they came from. Why would they want to do that? Because in Galilee, that's where they were with Jesus most of the time. That's where they saw all the miracles. That's where they enjoyed picnics with 5,000 people. That's where they saw him walking on the water. That's where they saw people being healed and delivered. That was the exciting times. I'd want to go back to there. But no, Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem. It's possible, actually, that if they did go back to Galilee, that self-doubt could have crept in. Jesus wasn't with them now. It wouldn't be the same without Jesus. He's not around to lead us. Maybe some of you here, actually, feeling a little bit lost without Andrew. He's moved on. He's been a rock in your life. You've followed him. I would just want to encourage you. We thank God for Andrew. But we have to look forward now. It, it's not advisable to keep going back to the good old days. We need to be, in order to be led forward, you can't be looking back. It's really difficult. If I'm looking back this way to see who I'm following. I'm not talking about following me necessarily. I'm talking about following the Holy Spirit. So I would just encourage you, Let's be those who are moving forward. Let's not go back to those places of comfort. Let's not be reminiscing too much. It's good to remember what God's done. But God wants to do a new thing in each one of our lives. He wants to do a new, fresh thing in each one of our lives as we follow him. So the second thing, he said, wait here. He said, do not leave Jerusalem. Now, in the disciples' minds, they were thinking, why would we want to stay in Jerusalem? It makes no logical sense. It meant exposing them to more danger. This is where Jesus was crucified. This is where his followers were all put to shame. However, this is where God wanted them to remain. And I'll tell you, it may not make sense to you why you're here. But it does with God. And I know that God's saying to you, remain, at least for today. How can I say that? Because you're here now. Because you're here now. And that's where God wants you right now. And you're here, sat here, that God might do something in your lives today. And God knew where you were going to be sat this morning. And he knew what he wanted to speak to you and lead you in through the Holy Spirit. So, despite any anxiety, despite any hostility from people, 
Some of you may be in really difficult circumstances at work, at home, school. And it's sometimes easier to run away, isn't it? But actually, God might be saying to you, just remain here. Remain here. I want to do some things in you that can only be done in this circumstance. So please work through any disappointments. Please face your fears. With God's help, don't run away from them. Any anxiety, let's walk through these. It's so important that you deal with disappointment. I was speaking to my daughter about, um, she does psychology. And uh, I don't know if any of you know what uh, jangle phobia is. I'm not expecting you to, to be honest. <laughs> it's the fear of jelly. <laughs> and uh, Jasmine was telling me how uh, in psychology sometimes the best thing people do in psychology is to get people to face up to their fears. And they might put them in a room. She didn't say this jelly one. I just thought it was better than a mouse or something. But, uh, and they, they might put them in the room with this jelly. Oh, yeah, there we go. I hope no one's got janglephobia. <laughs> Sorry if you have. Uh, I did choose that thinking that no one would have it. I'm hoping that is the case. I can't see anyone wobbling. Or oh, wrong term, sorry. Um, so, yeah, so you put them in the same room with a bit of jelly, maybe under a bowl or something, and they're probably the other side of the room. And then the next stage, maybe just to take the lid off, and then you may take a few steps for closer, and then uh, you may touch it and then run away, I guess, I don't know. And then you may, and it just goes through steps, and you may take a bite of it if you're really brave. The point is, sometimes God asks us to remain. <laughs> he might ask us to remain in the place where you're, even if you're in the middle of a distressing situation, even if you don't understand it and you want to run away, even if there's disappointment, anxiety, fear, whatever it may be. God may say to you, just remain, just stay here. I've got something I want to do in you. There's something actually just really powerful about staying where you are and not running back to the place of safety or running forward. And uh, I just believe, actually, i just reminded of um, Vic, my father-in-law who spoke earlier, and Andy spoke as well. For some of you who don't know, Andy spoke. He's, he's a guy that uh, speaks at Courage, just to qualify who he is. He's just not come off the street. And, <laughs> and um, I'm just reminded of Vic's word about lameness. Some of you may be just made lame by fear. God wants to overcome that now. He can do that right now. In his presence, there's freedom. You can get up and walk. You can get up and run. But actually, there's a place of just waiting on him. Not trying to sort it out in your own strength. Just wait in the presence of God.
priorities right. Not try and sort it out in your own strength. Just rest and look to him, the one who heals, restores, sets free, delivers. Okay. So the next thing is uh, wait, don't rush on. The disciples could have heard the commission and then just scattered to the nations. Just run. Okay, I've got what I need to do. Let's go. Let's go to that. We've got a big job here. We just need to get on with it and start with this. This is going to take forever. And just busy yourself with activity. Just run to every situation. There's a really needy world out there. And as I'm taking up this role of leading this, the team here, I don't want to run to every next, next best thing, every best idea. I want us to hear from God what we're going to do. We already do lots of things, but we can't do everything, can we? And we want to hear from God where God's leading us. Collectively, individually, as a church, as we impact this area. As a culture, we're not great. As a, we're not really known for our patience, are we? We like to just get on and do things. But as you can see in uh, verse 8, we just wanted to see the order of events. It's crucial we see that. So in verse 8 it says, You receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. That's the first thing. And then second, and you will be my witnesses. That's the order. Don't run and be witnesses. Receive power first. This is a huge task. To go and make disciples of all nations. To be witnesses across the world. We cannot do this in our own strength. Our mission is gargantuan. I just put that in because I like that word. It's colossal. It's, it's just huge and we cannot do it in our own efforts and our own strength. Uh, Bill Johnson, said, uh, who's a guy uh, who leads the Bethel Church in California, uh, he said this in a book, uh, Hosting the Presence. The measure we are aware of our need for him is usually the measure we become aware of him. Are you aware of your need for him? We so need him, don't we? I'm so aware of my need for him as I step into this new job. I'm, I'm so aware of my need for him. I'm leaning in and trusting in him for each day. But I hope you are too for your lives. I hope you are aware of your need for him. Because if you're aware of the scale of your need for him, then you will start to understand and be a aware of him around you. The encounter must always come before the mission. As Andy said earlier, he said, I am sending you. I am sending you. He's being sent from God. Yeah? 
I am sending you. So one of the things we need to do as we uh, make disciples of all nations is we need to help people connect to the presence of God. And it's very difficult to do that if you're not enjoying and living in the presence of God yourself. So make this your habit as you help others to connect to the presence of God. Make this your habit yourself. Without this encounter, without the relationship, without his presence, it can become just intellectualism. It can become moralism, legalism. Rather than a relational, graceful, loving, joyful experience. Do you say, let me introduce you to Jesus? Or are you inferring that I'm just going to introduce you to a bunch of rules, a bunch of do's and don'ts? So the birth, the birth of the early church was uh, like us through a bunch of ordinary people, as I've said before. Ordinary people partnering with the presence of the Holy Spirit and seeing his power do incredible things, as we'll look at as we go through Acts together. Inconceivable, unimaginable things. In one day, 3,000 listeners to the gospel turned and were saved and baptized. Wow. We can't do this in our own efforts. Now, the best form of discipleship I've found and just started to understand recently is to introduce people to the Holy Spirit. He is by far the best discipler. We, there's a danger of us just trying to look at the externals and trying to change people's attitudes and behaviours. Whereas if you introduce them to the Holy Spirit... He starts from the inside and works out. And sometimes we can just be in a danger of looking at externals, looking at the outside and hoping it works its way in and changes someone's heart. The Holy Spirit is the best discipler. So introduce people you're trying to disciple, trying to lead to Christ, to the Lord Jesus, and let them be worked on from the inside out. Let them have a heart transformation. Andrew was sharing last week that um, when we start to be aware of God's presence with us, then we start stopping doing some of the things that we might be doing before. When we're aware of his presence in our lives, it affects our eyes, it affects our mouths, it affects our thoughts. It affects everything when you know that each day you've got the Lord Jesus with you. He's not only with you, he's inside you. 1 Corinthians 16, amazing verses. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You're not your own. You are bought at a price. Therefore, Honour God with your body. So something else I just want to pull out from this passage. Um, back in um, Acts, 
is how he's called us to be uh, witnesses. Now, Jesus was on a trial before his death, wasn't he? And to be honest, he's still on trial today by many people. And he still has many accusations thrown against him. But we've been called to be witnesses. We've been called to stand in the dock and give a defense for Christ. So who do you say Jesus is? If he's being cross-examined and you're the character witness, can you say what the character of the Lord Jesus is to someone who asks you? Can you say with conviction and confidence, yes, he's trustworthy, he's true, he's faithful, he's loving, and he's good? If questioned on the events of his death, can you say with confidence that he died and rose again on the third day? No one wants a witness that's going to be a bit flaky. Oh, I'm not sure. I kind of feel maybe. A witness cannot give the story of someone else's account, can they? They have to give their own personal account. So it comes back to, again, your own personal relationship with Jesus. In verse 3 it says, Jesus gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. Many convincing truths that he was alive. What evidence do you have that he's alive in your life? Can you reference things easily? Can you display the fruit of his life in your life the fruit of the spirit love, joy, peace can you say I have no condemnation in Christ Jesus can you, can you give a good account of how you know Jesus what Jesus' character is and how he raised, was raised from the dead just felt actually some people here might be relying too heavily on someone else's relationship with Jesus. And that is good to a certain extent. But I felt you were just warming on the fire of someone else's relationship. Maybe a partner, maybe a parent. And God would just nudge you and say, hey, I want you to come to me and have your own individual personal relationship with me. You can host his presence. You can be a living temple of his Holy Spirit. He wants you to know him as your deepest friend. The girl, my girls, call it being a gooseberry. Actually, they don't. They call it a scrape. Oh, that is a new word to me. But it's basically a gooseberry. Someone who just tags along and is just in on someone else's relationship. And it's okay for a while. You can enjoy the fun. But it gets a bit awkward after a while, doesn't it? And there may be people here that are just enjoying someone else's relationship with God. And I encourage you have your own 
personal, deep friendship with Jesus. Um, so just one other thing. The word witness in this passage and the word martyr are the same word in Greek. Uh, a word called martyrs. I had to look that up, by the way. Uh, So are you prepared to die for the sake of your testimony of Jesus? We're not just witnesses by our words, but by our actions, as we die to self each day. Maybe you need to die of your embarrassment. Maybe you need to kill your pride. Some, many across this world, Thousands, I think, each year actually die for their faith in Christ. The gift of salvation is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And the gift of the Holy Spirit is a free gift of grace, a gift of grace to each one of us. And we receive it. But actually following Christ is costly, isn't it? Maturing as a disciple of Christ, is expensive. So, uh, just throw that challenge out to you. Is it costly to you? Matthew 6, 33 says this. It's just repeating again what I've been saying this morning. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. Note the order again. Seek first the kingdom. And who is at the, on the throne in the kingdom? The king. Seek first the king. And then all these other things will be given to you. I'm going to read now a book I've been reading on hosting the presence by Bill Johnson, the guy I mentioned earlier who leads the church in Bethel, California. He says this. Authority comes with commission, but power comes with the encounter. They were commanded not to leave until they had their encounter with the Spirit of God. In Matthew 28, they received authority, but in Acts 2, they received power. To this day, this is true. Authority comes from the commission, and power comes from the encounter. And while these two elements seem to have their primary focus on ministry, they are first the essential elements for our engaging the Holy Spirit for relationship. Power and authority introduce us to the nature of the Holy Spirit with a primary focus on hosting his presence. Ministry should flow out of the relationship with the person who lives in us for our sakes but rests upon us for the sake of others. I found that really helpful. A couple of weeks ago, we went uh, to a conference for leaders, and uh, there was a quote that they left up on the board, one of the last things, by a guy called Phil Wilthew. He kind of helps lead our group of churches. Huh. And... Um, if we could just pull that... To, There's a quote from him, which I'll read to you guys. I took a photograph of the screen, but I thought it was good good enough for you to see as well. So again, that scripture, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. 
Note the order again. Come, follow me. Come to me. I will make you. He's going to make us disciples. He's going to make us realize who, who we are in Christ. And he's going to make us fishers of men. That's our call, to be fishers of men. Those three things again, up, in, and out. So ultimately, God is interested in raising up not only some big churches, but some big people. We want to raise up the kind of radical, multiplying, disciple-making disciples who actually believe they are called to change the world. Men and women who are on the front foot in serving their communities, economies, cultures, schools, and places of influence. So again, I come back to my original question. Jesus says, where are you? Where are you in this story? At the end of that passage in Acts, they're all left looking up to the sky, weren't they? They were looking heavenwards. Hmm. Because I believe Jesus is here on earth now through the Holy Spirit, and he's saying, where are you? The Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus is on earth now. And he's saying, where are you? I'm working over here. Come and partner with me. Come and join with me. So um, I think it'd be good to respond, actually. Barney, are you able to... Is Barney around? You're able to come back. I just invite you to come into this story with the Lord Jesus. He's still writing this story. He's the writer, he's the author, he's the director, he's the main character. And he asks us to join with him. This story is incredible. It's a love story, but it's an adventure story. If you look through the Bible, it's got everything, hasn't it? It's got passion, it's got betrayal, sacrifice, murder. There's mourning, which turns to dancing. There's new life, there's hope, there's power, there's freedom. But more importantly, there's you and there's me in this story, and there's God.